Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. It's nice to be back at the microphone again on this chilly Sunday morning, or Sunday afternoon, I should say, here in Israel. We are live, if you're listening, between 4 to 5 p.m. holy time right here in the land of Israel. Or if it's between 9 to 10 a.m. U.S. Eastern time, that means we are live and you can call into the show with any comments or questions that you have. Our numbers are on the top of our homepage at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. We have a number for uh, our listeners in the United States and Canada and also for here in Israel, local call. And today we are going to be discussing on the Tamar Yona Show, bluffs and scams. Also, other topics, the extremist is not such an extremist regarding Itamar Ben-Gvir. We're going to tell you why. Also, an FTX update, a Ukraine update. Last week to this, Arctic frontiers and other bits affecting you and uh, maybe more. So we are going to start out the show now with our guest, Dr. Mordechai Ben-Menachem. He is a researcher, a former lecturer at Ben-Gurion University. He's authored over, well, I think it's actually he's offered now 90 books and 400 research papers on science, history, and more. He comments on Mideast and world issues. Welcome to the show, Dr. Mordechai Ben-Menachem. Thank you. Okay, so this last week, uh, actually last couple of weeks, I should say, we've seen uh, an unusual at this period at least, uh, amount of terror attacks in Israel that also were uh, reminding us of the bus bombings that we saw with the Hamas back in the early 2000s and afterwards. And um, so everyone's talking now about our security and Itamar Ben-Gvir from the Religious Zionist Party, who has been always labeled by the left an extremist, even by people in the middle, they because they just parrot words and say, oh, yeah, he's the extremist. But this time, people are, are voted him in to be part of the third largest political party here in Israel. And he is regularly now interviewed by the news here in Israel. And I was watching this morning's, uh, you know, good morning type of Israel, you know, good morning Israel type of show. And to my surprise, first of all, they, they interviewed him and it was a tad hostile. They were trying to provoke him saying that, you know, uh, peop- there, there were soldiers, if anyone doesn't know, there was an incident in Hebron where uh, leftist uh, anarchist provocateurs came and they constantly come all the time, they spit on soldiers, they yell and scream at them, they put cameras in their faces, they hit them, they push them, etc. And what, one of these soldiers uh, hit one of the uh, these uh, anarchists, 
these crazy anarchists that go there to make trouble. And uh, he was uh, reprimanded and and uh, the people with him as well. You can fill in any blanks I might be missing, Dr. Mordechai ben Menachem. And uh, so so one of the um, reactions, I believe it was from this, this particular story, was that uh, one of the soldiers said something akin to just wait, Itamar ben Gavir is going to make order here. Do you want to weigh in on anything yet? Yes, uh, uh, just uh, an interesting aside. There was a um, uh, a poll conducted by one of the uh, leftist polling uh, groups, or whatever they call themselves, these companies that do public opinion polls. And it turns out that some 60, I forget the number, 62 or 65% of the public are very pleased with the appointment of Itamar Ben-Gvir for public security minister. Yes, so at, at this time so, there are so a lot of. Seems to agree with you. He's not just voted in by as a, in the third place count and the third third largest party, but now the population is starting to say this is not such a bad thing after all. Yes, and I'm going to agree with you because I'm going to tell you that uh, when that the people who voted him in this time were not necessarily only from the right wing or religious. There were a lot of secular Israelis that are not religious, that may even be leaning towards the left, that said, enough, we want security here in our home, and they voted him I, in. I want, to give you, I want to give you a surprise on that one. Okay. The, the, the party got, if I remember correctly, 14 mandates, 14 seats. Rumor has it, and I can't confirm this yet, that at least... That one of those seats, or, or at least a very large portion of one of those seats, were actually Arab voters. The Arab voters wanted them in. The Arabs are tired of the chaos produced by the, the this, this invented uh, uh, so-called nationality that's trying to just cause anarchy and trouble. So it's not just so-called extremist Jews. It's the uh, That's a very good point because he said also he's going to bring, he's going to try to bring more law and order to these Arab villages that are just uh, crazy. There are just a lot of violence going on there and uh, everyone's too afraid to do anything about it. It's very important for people to know that these Muslim Arabs are about 16% of the population of the country, but they produce more than 92% of the crime. So, so the, yeah, the go Arabs ahead. don't like what's going on in their villages. No, they don't. And that's why it, it could be good, very good for them as well. But this is what I want to say here. I was surprised that even during the interview and after the interview, you know, they, they have the interview, they play it, and then they have like the talking heads on the panel and they start to talk about what they saw during the interview and the remarks that were made. And so, you know, Excuse me. It's usually made up of uh, leftists on on you know in the studio there, and to my uh, pleasant surprise, I two of them 
were saying, I, one specifically, she was saying, you know, uh, I'm not saying that I'm, uh, you know, I voted for uh, Itamar Ben-Vir, so, something like that. But, you know, he came with a, a specific agenda that he promised to people. And now that he's elected, he's fulfilling his promises, unlike any other politicians that we've seen in the last many, many years who have done that. Usually they, they make promises, they get into office and the next day they forget about all their promises and he's keeping them. So, you know, like, let's see what he can do. And I was, I was shocked in a nice way hearing, uh, you know, these leftist uh, media people, well, some of them saying things like that. So it was very interesting. Well, one, of the, one of the prizes, you know, I used to have, I, I, when I was at the university, um, uh, uh, the, the, the president of the university was a gentleman in the name of uh, uh, Abishai Braverman, who was very, very far to the left. And he and I were good friends, and we used to chuckle and say that we agree on nothing other than the fact that we're good friends. And the point of the matter is that he, while he was very far to the left, he was also a very strong Zionist. And he would be very adamant about uh, – uh, he's long retired. I'm not, I'm not in contact with him, unfortunately. But uh, he was very adamant that he is very much in favor of the health and the well-being of the country and the people. So leftist is not necessarily, pardon me for putting it this way, a bad thing. Bad in double quotation marks. Leftists, many leftists are marvelous people. They just have some strange ideas. What do you do? No, no one ever said they're not marvelous people. Leftists are into very many good causes, although I think that... uh, they're they're mistaken in in a lot of their assumptions that the because the left i uh maybe ideal ideologically sounds like a shangri-la but when it's put into practice in the world it it just doesn't work out okay so we've exhausted that we were coming towards the end of the first segment and i do want to talk about some of the other terrific topics that you had and uh where would you like to start well let's talk about ftx you notice i i i juxtapose FTX update with Ukraine update, and they're very closely linked. And this is a very important point. The, the, the waters, the, the FTX waters are getting more and more murky as, we, as time goes on. Now, rather than being cleared up, they're getting more and more confused. What we're discovering, and I'm going to say this ahead of time because it's, a, it's an extraordinary statement. FTX is not so much a scam as it was a clearinghouse of scams. There were many FTX scams. It was a house that contained an enormous quantity of scams running in parallel. And that's an enormous lesson for all of us to be cognizant of. Okay, so you need to explain the type of money laundering that we saw going on between Ukraine and FTX and uh, oh yes, I'm, and I'm, I'm the about to. I, I, the segment is just about to end, isn't it? Another minute, yeah, but another yeah, okay. minute. Okay, so let, let, let me just preface it by saying, first of all, we already know of at least three governments that were directly involved with it, as well as the, the Clinton Foundation and all three Clintons, and as well as the WEF, the World Economic Forum of our of our so-called uh, bosom buddy, Klaus, over there. So it was much more than just uh, uh, cryptocurrency. We're talking here about something which was much deeper than that, much more complex than that. 
Basically, the company had 10 workers. They all lived together in one home, which was bought by this uh, weirdo, SBF, who calls, who calls himself SBF. Um, but he just didn't, he didn't just buy a, 10, a $40 billion flat for himself and his 10 flatmates, or nine flatmates, I should say. Um, he also bought, apparently, 74 other real estate transactions throughout the Caribbean. So all of this is on his customers' dimes. Okay, so hang on right there. The music is on. That means we have to go to the break. We're going to be right back, everybody. We have lots to talk about, more than FTX. We'll be right back. back here at the Tamar Yona Show on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com and our guest is Dr. Mordechai Ben-Menachem who is a uh, commentator on Mideastern world issues and he's here joining us and you wanted to talk, explain about the circle of life so to speak between the FTX, the Ukraine, the Democrats, politicians, etc. Okay, uh, let me just very, very briefly, we can't go into detail of course, very briefly to explain how they how the thing how the thing worked. Now, FTX was supposedly uh, uh, presented as a trading platform, like a uh, like a bourse, like a, 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 a stock bourse or a, a commodities bourse, but uh, it, it was a, a trading platform for cryptocurrencies. You know, and there are in the world today thousands of different cryptocurrencies that are presented, and so uh, uh, people would give their money, but you can't give your money directly to FTX. You give them, you give your money to a subsidiary of FTX called Alameda Research, which happened to be run by uh, uh, Sammy's girlfriend. And Alameda Research would then pass the money to FTX or not as they pleased, because if it's two pockets in the same jacket, who, who doesn't really matter which which pocket it happens to be in, right? Wrong, but that's that was what their claim was. So there were 10 people, as I said, running this operation. I don't know how many total workers they had or employees they had. 10 people running it out of this, out of this flat in the Bahamas where it was domiciled. Um, now, uh, uh, um, uh, SBF received a $1 billion loan a short time before the whole thing went um, uh, 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 belly up from Alameda. While his director of engineering, a guy by the name of Nishad, received a half billion dollar loan from this from Alameda. Now, by the way, all of all of these ten people, nobody apparently knows where any of them are right now. Where are they living? What are they doing? Nobody seems to know. One of them apparently bought a boat and lives on a boat somewhere, but nobody seems to directly know where they are. Um, uh, 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 so the money would go to Alameda Research. Alameda Research would buy tokens that FTX invented that they called FTTs, which is an FTX token. And these tokens would then be used for trading or not. 
SBF's brother works for the committee that Maxine Waters leads. I said the waters are getting murkier. Uh, Maxine Waters lead, uh, heads this committee, and this is the committee for financial oversight. And Maxine Waters apparently is also a major benefactor of the SBF donations. Isn't that a fascinating um, uh, set of circumstances? Bahama, the Bahama government, the government itself, received, aside from, the, as I mentioned, the $40 billion home that they lived in and 74 other real estate transactions by FTX and its subsidiaries, Bahama government itself received several billion dollars after it was already declared bankrupt from the FTX uh, 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 treasury, uh, whatever you call it, um, from the FTX uh, accounts. Several billion dollars in cash were received by the government of Bahama. So now a lot we have of corruption. Two yeah. Sorry? A lot, of, a lot of corruption. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, now, so we're talking about here two, two governments. Um, Ukraine, as, as we mentioned last week, the uh, Ukraine was getting money from the Democrats, um, uh, which they then took part of that money, turned it around, and invested, double quotation marks, in FTX. Why a country at war would invest in a very highly speculative, at the very least, um, company is uh, sort of strange. But we're talking about a great deal of money, and suddenly, somehow, nobody seems to be able to say how much money Ukraine passed to FTX. It was not a trivial amount. We know that. We don't know. We do not know exactly how it is because Ukraine does not allow any of their finances to be audited, particularly not by the American government, which is funding them. So we have here a complete circle, don't we? Um, uh, 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 um, just uh, uh, as, as a by the way about Ukraine, uh, uh, while all of the um, the, 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 the the bought you, uh, media in the Western world is talking about how Ukraine is uh, is uh, um, going to win this war. There's absolutely no chance that Ukraine is going to win this war. Russia has amassed now 540,000 troops on the Ukraine border waiting for the ground to freeze. And then they're going to go into Ukraine with a major offensive. Now, Ukraine already has almost 100% of its power industry and its water offline destroyed by Russian bombing. Russia is basically doing the same thing they did, uh, they're doing in Ukraine the same thing they did previously in Syria to destroy the um, uh, Islamic State in Syria. Um, uh, 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 what's going to happen is the people that are left in Ukraine have no power, no electricity, no water, it's already below zero with heavy snow. Um, we're expecting to see a mass migration of Ukrainians westward towards the uh, other parts of Europe. I'm expecting to see a major healthcare system collapse somewhere in Western Europe within the coming months. Um, and that's because why? Because people won't be able to afford to heat their homes. They're going to get sick. What? Well, pe first of all, the people in Western Europe uh, can't afford to, eat, to, to, to heat their homes, so there's going to be a lot of problems. Um, the price of fertilizer has quadrupled 
So there's going to be a shortage of food and a massive influx of refugees from the Ukraine. There's no way that any, any healthcare system can stand to that. It's just no, no system is planned for that sort of disruption. Um, uh, um, um, the war sanctions have already lengthened the average shipping uh, costs, so now charters have fewer options and are forced to pay double the rate than over the summer months, double from the past from this past summer. Whereas even if the war began, remember, in February last winter, even from this past summer, they've doubled again. Tanker shortages are across all the different vessel carrier uh, categories. Freight costs from the Middle East into, into Asia-Pacific have tripled year on year. OPEC Plus, everyone probably remembers, cut the production by 2 million barrels per day just uh, a short time ago. By the way, that's not actually true. They announced the production cost, but all they actually did was acknowledge that they've not been able, physically capable of increasing production by what they had planned to increase it by. So they simply uh, 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 cut their quotas without actually changing the actual production. Now we're expecting an actual reduction in production sometime in January or February. So this will further upset the, the, uh, the uh, oil markets, and this will further upset the rates of inflation throughout the uh, um, um, uh, Western Europe, most of Western Europe is already in double-digit inflation. Spain is on the brink of total financial collapse. We may be seeing a, 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 a Spain on the brink of bankruptcy as a country. But, but, you know, I remember them saying this about Greece a few years ago, that Greece was on the verge of collapse, of bankruptcy, and... Nothing. Well, I was. mean, well, it was, yeah, but like uh, the the world didn't implode. Greece didn't even implode. They still have tourism. They still have. Not, that's not quite. In, that's not quite true. Okay, so correct. Was, correct. The that. Germans. The Germans came in and uh, basically uh, 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 saved Greece from from an economic collapse because it was w worth the Germans' while to do that. And it, and will it not be worth Europe's uh, interest to save Spain if it sees something similar? There's nobody to, there's nobody left to be that's capable of saving anybody anymore. All of Europe is in a in a state of of horrible economics worse than it's ever been before. Okay. There is no healthy country in Europe today, not a single one economically. Perhaps perhaps Switzerland, I'm not certain about Switzerland. But no European country today has a healthy economy. Okay. And they're all going backwards, all of them. They're all in recession, they're all in inflation, they're all in big trouble in terms of of, of, of the euro and everything else. All right. Now let's just um, move uh, uh, eastward a little bit. Armenia has been assisting both Russia and Iran to invade international sanctions. Remember, these are sanctions in terms of Russia that were placed on Russia because of the Ukrainian war. Ukraine, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Armenia transships Iranian drones to Russia. So when Iran stands up in the uh, disunited nations and says, oh, we didn't send 
weapons to Russia. They're not really lying. They sent them to Armenia, and Armenia sent them to Russia. Right. Not only that, but we're now finding we're all finding out that some uh, 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 Western observers have taken apart some of these Iranian drones and discovered that they have Chinese parts in them, mostly the motors that are actually stolen from the UK and the US. All right, let's stop here because we have to go to a break. When we get back, we're going to be speaking more about what's going on around the world. Feel free to call in and weigh in on the issue if you you have an opinion or a question about whatever we're talking about. Our numbers are on the top of our homepage at israelnewstalkradio.com. We'll be right back. back here at the Tamar Yona Show on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com and we are speaking with Dr. Mordechai Ben-Menachem and he is talking to us about FTX and how it is affecting us and you wanted to finish up on that subject so go ahead. Right. Um, uh, um, uh, uh, it turns out that nine countries as one of the results of the FTX fiasco have already announced that they will no longer be trading oil for dollars, they'll be trading oil for gold. This will affect the price of oil. This will affect the value of the dollar. This is a very important uh, data item. We don't know how much of an effect this will have. But just to illustrate some point here, um, remember people, there was there's this thing called the Taliban. People seem to have forgotten about Afghanistan. Well, it's still out there. The Taliban have now announced that they have succeeded in repairing 33 American tanks, 15 Humvees, 20 Navstars, and more than 70 aircraft. Afghanistan now has its own air force. All of these were things that the U.S. military claimed that they had destroyed. They're so inept, they can't even destroy their own machines. But the big question is, who is supplying the Taliban with parts for these for these uh, 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 repairs, and the question is, are they being supplied by Ukraine? We do not know, and this is a very important point because we don't know what the Taliban are going to do with these with this air force, but it does not seem to be anything good for anybody in the world, especially if you're in the West, you're an infidel. Not only, I mean, what, what about India, for instance? What about Japan? What about, what about uh, 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 Uzbekistan? I mean, these are the good guys. All right. Uh, and so, so even even if they have this amount of tanks and things, you don't think that the United States and the West together would be able to beat them? No, I don't think they can. They didn't beat them when they didn't have these things. Why would they be able to beat them now that they do have them? Remember, America was defeated. It ran away with their tail between their legs. I mean, you, you can paint it any way you want, but the fact of the matter is America was defeated in the war. They lost. Okay, but admittedly so, it's because America has all of these, 
has been fighting, you know, tying the hands of its soldiers. If they really wanted to be ruthless, which I'm not telling them to do that, but, you know, they, they could be a lot more ruthless and they can. We need to understand something very basic about military science. Soldiers, and this is not, not, I'm not saying this is to be nasty to anybody. Soldiers do not win wars. Generals win wars. Soldiers fight and die. Generals do not fight and die, but they're the ones who actually win the wars. If America, if the American military does not have generals who are capable of winning a war, then America cannot win wars. Despite the phenomenal bravery of their soldiers and phenomenal uh, 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 motivation that, that American soldiers have, and there's no way that I'm in any way criticizing the individual American soldier. Quite the opposite. I am criticizing the American military leadership. So you're stating then that the United States, as of today, doesn't have any generals worth much. Well, I won't say, I won't say any. I don't know them all, of course. But I'm, the, 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 the generals that were active in Iraq, Iraq and, and Afghanistan lost the wars. The, 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 uh, I think he's an admiral, not a general. In, in, the, in the East, that's facing China, has already said that he can't win a war against China. And it's true, he can't. There is no way to win a war against China. You can't win a ground war from the sea. It's not possible. Never, it's never happened in the world. And we need to understand that, uh, I mentioned that European fertilizer uh, uh, has, has tripled in price. Uh, uh, that's together with European fertilizer availability cut by 70%. There is going to be a famine in Europe unless they steal food from other places. And it's not just fertilizer and food. It's also aluminum. It's also zinc. It's also steel. It's also nickel. All of these things are on very scarce supply throughout Europe. All of European heavy industry is in a very, very poor state of repair right now. Well, if we had gray skies uh, today, it's even grayer now after having this sunny little talk with you. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on to it. Let's move on to another topic. Yes, or do okay, you want to say another uh, word? The world needs to learn a, a, a fascinating, if, if though it's a, a very sad message. We all know that the the COVID nineteen virus came from China. Most people are aware or at least suspect that it was released probably intentionally, but it was released by China. It was a, a, a virus developed by the Chinese, by the Chinese military, and released to the world. Well, the Chinese are pay, paying the price. It turns out that attempts at biological warfare just simply do not work. Just as uh, in the Middle Ages, hundreds of years ago, the Black Plague was spread intentionally to begin with, and it turned around and bit the people on the butt. Same thing's happening about China. China today is, is, is reporting tens of thousands of cases per day. The Chinese economy is totally on the ropes today. It is not clear at all how or when or if China can somehow survive the COVID process that's going on today well what do you what do you mean signs of 
active revolt in China. Ah, and okay. That's been for a long time. Okay, that's because they're locking their citizens down and they, their citizens can't take it anymore. Correct. They're living in a prison. Living in a prison for three years. Yeah, it's horrible. Horrible what's going on there. And, and I, I need to uh, uh, link that together with, with Iran, unfortunately. People, I hope, are aware that uh, uh, the, the, there have been um, uh, violent demonstrations in Iran and the streets of Iran now for nearly three months. The Iranian government, well, I consider it to be monsters. They are intentionally targeting children to punish the parent, protesting parents. That is targeting means they are shooting them dead. Women are being raped by the thousands by the security forces. I don't hear any of these uh, Black Lives Matters feminists saying anything about that. I haven't seen any of them uh, protesting against Iran. And don't I don't understand them that. Iran's nuclear program has just announced that they're uh, uh, enriching uranium to 60%. There is no reason ever to enrich uranium to 60% except for nuclear weapons. Ever. There is no use at all for 60% enriched uranium other than as weaponized. Okay. The total non-proliferation proliferation system, pardon me, is in the state of collapse today. And together with this, we're seeing that Pakistan is in detailed talks. We talked about this last week. Detailed talks with Saudi Arabia to make Saudi Arabia a nuclear state to be able to counter Iran. Well, I don't know if that's such a great idea, but okay. It's not a great idea. It's a terrible <laughs> idea. Okay. But that's, but, that, but that's what's going on in the world. It's a horrible idea. Yeah. Um, just as an aside, again, something that reported this week, and we'll, I, won't, I won't take any time on this. Um, generally speaking, over the last three, uh, three decades, human fertility in U.S. and Europe, that is say male sperm counts, have dropped by between 50 to 65 percent, depending on the country. Since when? Last, last, over the last three decades. Uh-huh. And the reason for that is what? Our diets? Well, there are a lot of reasons. Part of it is obesity. Part of it is drugs. Part of it is uh, overuse of, of all sorts of things like uh, 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 the wrong types of plastic in, in a lot of things. Um, what's called single-use plastics on this one, I have to agree, at least to some extent, with the, um, with the uh, 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 environmental alarmists. Single-use plastics are, generally speaking, not a great idea. And apparently, we don't know the exact reasons, apparently this is one of the causes for um, um, uh, a drop in male fertility in the United States and in Europe. And by the way, not, so, not the case in Africa and Asia. Okay, and so how does that affect us? That's what. Well, that's always the that, question I always ask. America and Europe may be on the road towards disappearing. It's not just economics we're talking about now. We're talking about actual humanity. If you don't have children, if you can't have children, you're you're in trouble. 
All right. So, and then the other countries that want to take advantage of that can just go to war against countries with larger populations, as, uh, absorb them, and fix the problem. Well, I, 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 I want to make a, a comment about that, actually. Um, uh, everybody in the West is talking about uh, how dangerous Russia is. Russia is about to try to conquer the Western world, blah, blah, blah. Uh, uh, Peter Zehan has been talking since the beginning of the Ukrainian war that Russia's actual nefarious plans is to move westward and take the what he calls the nine gaps. This is nonsense, ludicrous nonsense. Um, uh, Russia, with a population of 140 million, is not about to capture or attack Europe with a population of 750 million. It doesn't work that way. Okay. So people need to be aware of this. Now, if we can move on to our last subject, because we don't have a lot of time left, um, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the Arctic, uh, a subject that not very near and dear to most people in your, in Israel, but it's something that we should be aware of at least. Um, the Arctic contains about as much, uh, perhaps as much as a third of all untapped natural resources in the world. The Arctic is enormously rich in resources. I've mentioned before that Russia is the most resource-rich country in the world today, partly because it's simply just so massive. But um, uh, people need to be aware of the fact that uh, uh, the northern routes, that they, the, the sea route, let me put it this way, uh, shipping by sea is always cheaper than shipping any other way. So it's easier and cheaper and quicker. The northern route is now becoming more and more useful for a longer period of time during the year. The Russians have now uh, uh, launched several nuclear-powered icebreakers that allow the northern route to be used for a large portion of the year. It used to be that it was useful for only a few months of the year. It's now useful for very large portions of the, of the year. This is 15 days faster than going through the Suez Canal. So if you need to ship from, from Europe to Far East or from the Far East to Europe, there's now a... A, a, a quicker and easier way and cheaper way of doing it. People need to be aware Russia has more bases in the Arctic than the, than the United States and all of NATO by more than a third. Okay. So Russia is prepared for taking advantage of the Arctic. Canada, um, uh, 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 Scandinavia, United States are not. They're playing catch-up and they're just not doing very well. Russia has been developing Arctic capabilities now for two decades. Um, I want to go on to uh, 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 our final subject that, that, that we should be talking about, um, and that's a subject that people are aware of, but they're not aware of it, and that's cotton. Everybody's aware of cotton. We all wear cotton. We all use cotton. There are many. I mean, cotton is grown mostly in three places around the world. Southern United States, um, Egypt, and certain portions of Asia. Egypt grows nearly a third of the world's cotton. Now, we need to be aware, when the British occupied Egypt in the middle of the 19th century, they created a business model, I'll call it in, in, in very caste terminology, whereby the Egyptians grow cotton, 
Egyptian cotton has been famous around the world since the time since the Roman Empire. They sell it on the international markets and then use that income to purchase wheat to feed the population. Well, the Egyptian population has outgrown that. It's too large to be fed just by the cotton. Not only that, in parallel to that, the Ethiopians have built a Renaissance dam and they are reducing the amount of water that's available to Egypt. When the British were there, they decided on their own decision that Egypt can get 90% of the water of the Nile River. Well, the, the Ethiopians and the Sudanese are not so happy about that anymore. They want their own, they want their fair portion of the water. So Egypt's portion of the water is shrinking, which means that Egypt as a country is in big trouble. The cotton markets are in big trouble around the world. Um, the model just doesn't work anymore. If, e if Ethiopia continues to limit the amount of water available to Egypt, we may be seeing a major war in the uh, uh, northeastern portion of Africa. That's something that the world just doesn't is not is just not prepared for. Yeah, this is actually there's been a tension around the water from the Nile for a long time with Egypt funding money to the resistant groups, the opposition groups to uh, in in Ethiopia. Instead of going out, you know, to a direct war with them, they just give money to the people who want to overthrow them, and that's their way of doing it in a tacit way. Well, it's more than that. Uh, uh, my very close friend uh, Ted Billman. Um, as part of his plan for solving the the, the so-called Palestinian problem, says to uh, 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 the, that the, the 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 Arabs that live in the in the Gaza Strip should simply be transferred to Egypt. That's not going to happen if Egypt can't feed its own population now. You're not going to add another couple of million of people to the to the population of Egypt. There's nowhere for them to go. So this is directly affects Israel, not indirectly, directly affects Israel, directly affects all of the countries in the, throughout the Middle East and the Eastern Mediterranean Basin. And I just want to say here that anybody who's thinking, what? Throw the, the, the Arabs in Gaza to Egypt? Well, before Israel went in and uh, before the 67 war, before we liberated it, uh, they used to be under Egypt. They were under Egyptian rule, so they would just be going back to it. It's nothing new. Okay. Well, it's not, not, it's not just nothing new. Let me relate a very brief anecdote, um, uh, 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 a very true story. I was sitting in 1979 with a, uh, uh, at the time, a good, a good friend of mine, uh, an acquaintance, and, uh, a Sinai sheikh, and he was crying. And I said, what, what's the problem? He said, look, you guys have just decided to give us back to the Egyptians. When the Egyptians were here, this is a real story, I promise people. When the Egyptians were here, the Egyptian officers were bored. So they'd go out on hunting trips. But what's there to hunt in Sinai? Only The only thing you can hunt in Sinai are Bedouin. So they would hunt us. They were, that was their sport. Instead of that, you Israelis came here, you brought us education, health, food, and now you've abandoned us back to the Egyptians. What do you want us to do? 
Well, I, you know, I, I hear you and I believe you. Uh, but I also know, unfortunately, that it doesn't mean anything because they don't, they hate you so much anyway, they don't appreciate the good things you've done for them. That's that, that, that I, I'm not commenting about that. It may or may not be true on on, on, a, on a general level. Certainly not. You know, I, I'm, you know, I won't say it's true on a, on on an individuals certainly. Certainly, there are individuals of, of this, that, and the other thing. There are always good individuals. Uh, yes, this is true. I, I've lived in Sinai. I've lived in Gaza. I know the people there. Um, most of them just want to live. Right. But if we say, if we tell the people go live in Egypt, we will have a revolt. Most people want to live, but you have enough people who want to kill, and and they do, and that's what you've got a, a population that seventy percent of their population in democratic elections voted for the Hamas, which are terrorists. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm, you know I'm you can sure. build them universities and you can make their lives better and give them indoor plumbing and bring them into the twentieth twenty first century, and it it doesn't matter. And and as Rabbi Mirka Hanna used to say. Do you have, you have such little respect for the Arabs and the Muslims that you think you can buy them with a with with all of these nice things? They have their their pride. They have their their uh, you know whatever their stubbornness, and and it's not so easy. It's not so well, easy. Let, to me, let me not quote from Kahana, who might be somehow controversial. I'll quote from Alex Sharon, who was a close friend of mine. Okay, and Alex Sharon said very simply. You want to uh, 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 interrogate an Arab? You want to uh, 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 find out what they what they're really thinking? Fine, take them to the side and interrogate them. You do whatever you need to do to do that. Don't embarrass them. The right. most important aspect of the Arab culture is their pride. Yeah, their honor. If you damage yeah. their pride, you've lost them completely. Right. Okay. And, you know, and there are some faithful good Arabs, and we get information, a lot of the information we get, I want to remind people that a lot of, they say Israel, you know, intelligence is so good, but a lot of the information we get is from the Arabs themselves because they cannot stand their corrupt leadership. They want to live in peace. They want to, like you said, Mordechai, just live a, 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 a nice life like many of us. And uh, unfortunately, not all of them do. Look, the, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the so-called Palestinian Authority is in its 18th year of a four-year term. So, you know, they, they, they despise their leadership. Yeah, and uh, hopefully each of our Ben Gvir will be able to go bring in um, peace and quiet, law and order, and keep the streets safe for everybody, not just Jews, but Arabs as well. Absolutely. All righty. Okay, well, we're going to have to end that here this week. We can go on and on and on, but we have another live show following us, which is Returning Home with Natalie Sapinski. And by the way, she just returned home from a trip overseas, and that's why she's going live immediately after the show. And you can also call in if you have any comments or questions. And I want to thank you, Dr. Mordechai Ben-Menachem, for being on the show with us today and giving us all of these interesting news items that we need to know that the Western media doesn't always cover. And uh, but these stories affect people in the West and all over the world. Yes, they Could do. Would you say and that? I'm, uh, I'm sort of sorry that sometimes I have to say things that are so unpleasant, but that's life today. Well, it's better to be forewarned. It's better to be able to prepare for a great uh, rainy day, and then hopefully we won't need it. I'm uh, uh, certainly correct. Certainly correct. 
All right, everybody, you've been listening to the Tomorrow No Show here at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Next up is Returning Home, a live show. We'll be right back in a few minutes. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com page, log in as yourself or an anonymous guest, and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and you can make new friends. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel. Plus, little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 